Hey, welcome. I hope you're doing better day by day on your grief journey. I'm Pam Lundell, host of A Widow's Heart, and I'm so excited to dive in with a grief expert who just happens to be in the club no one wants to be in, that of a widow. It's hard to trust an authority on the topic of grief unless they've actually lived it. That's what makes you the authority. You can study it all day long until you've lived it. I'm Pam Lundell, and this is A Widow's Heart. All right. She is here, Dr. Melissa Mork. I am so excited to have you as a guest on A Widow's Heart because you are a grief expert and you've got the grief to go along with it. I do. It's hard to trust an authority on the topic of grief unless they've actually lived it. That's what makes you the authority. You can study it all day long until you've lived it. That's right. And even, okay, so before we get into your grief story, we're talking with Dr. Uh, Melissa Moore, professor of psychology at the University of Northwestern. You are an author. You are an encourager. You are a therapist Mm, for many. Grief Mm -hmm. coach. And uh, Mm melissamork.com is a great website for you to learn all about her. But um, as you mentioned, you know, you've helped so many through grief, but yeah, but how do you trust an expert who has not been through grief and you have it in spades? Can you just give us a thumbnail sketch of what you have been through? Sure. I had lost all my grandparents before uh, I graduated high school. And my senior year of high school, my best friend uh, caused her own death by carbon monoxide poisoning. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in college, my mother was killed in a car crash. And my dad died shortly after that from, we would say, a broken heart. Um, Fast forward, uh, I lost a number of pregnancies and friends to heart attack and um, cancer and so forth. And then in 2017, my beloved husband died of a very aggressive lung cancer, uh, four and a half months from diagnosis to death. Since then, it was really fast. And then since then, we've lost more loved ones, a nephew, a niece, um, and my brother-in-law to COVID a year and a half ago. Melissa. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I, I've been reading through your book called Navigating Grief with Humor. We'll get to that in, in a little bit too. But um, you write so movingly and, and you do describe specifically um, when your mom died mm. and, and how you dealt with that. Um, we're here talking mostly, um, I'm finding out listeners um, are dealing with all kinds of grief, not, mm-hmm. I don't want to say just widows, my goodness. Of course, widows, there are widowers, uh, divorced people yes. are listening and getting encouragement. And I'm so glad that you're my guest today because we're going to unpack some ways uh, to deal with grief. But can you address um, the death of your husband? Because not only was it your husband, it was your children's father too. Right. My kids were 12 and 17 when he was diagnosed and He died on September 1st, and these two kids went to their first day of school for the fall semester, Mm -hmm. trimester, the day before his funeral. And so they were trying to launch into new school years while going through such a devastating loss. And he was a great father and a large presence, and uh, that loss was devastating. What was surprising for me was that even though I'd studied grief and been through so much, This was a whole different story because I was having to parent these two really traumatized kids through Mm -hmm. really hard stuff. And I think when you're a parent and you're parenting children through their grief, you have to set your own aside. And I mean, that's just natural is Mm -hmm. what you do. But then it delays your own process further. 
Um, we're talking with Dr. Melissa Moore from University of Northwestern St. Paul. And again, the book is called Navigating Grief with Humor. Um, and today, I, I anticipate that you are going to be a future guest, guest many times over okay. here on A yeah, Winner's yeah, Heart. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I Hopefully. love talking with you. And you're going to help so many today by walking through ways to get through grief. And people are going, what do you mean? What do you mean? Get You're going to tell me how to get through grief. Well, you just listen and see what Dr. Mork has to say. Well, I think where we'll start is the in, in the uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross yes. and the stages of grief yes. that we all think that we are so familiar with. Can you address that and why it's yes. not such a such a great thing for for the for you for 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 me and for the person who's regularly going through grief? Right. So Kubler-Ross's uh, stages of grief. She wrote a book called On Death and Dying, and it's a brilliant book, beautifully written, but. She wrote it for the medical community to understand the process of grief that somebody goes through during a terminal illness towards death. So those stages of grief, denial, bargaining, anger, um, all of those ending with acceptance, it's what somebody goes through when they know they're going to die. And the medical community at the time that she wrote this didn't really understand the process and didn't understand that how hard it was for somebody to come to terms with their own mortality. This does not apply to grief following the death of a loved one, uh, when we're grieving the death of a relationship or a marriage or the death of a a dream, a lost job. There's so many other causes of grief. Those stages of grief are informative in telling us, okay, this is where you might be in this process, but it doesn't give us any tools. Yeah. You know, after my mom died, I would be talking to my sister and I'd say, oh, yeah, I'm really angry. And she'd say, me too. But what do you do with that? Like, mm-hmm. where, where do you go aside from, ah, mm-hmm. the insight is helpful, but it doesn't propel you towards resolution. And I think that when we are going through a really hard time, we want to see that there's going to be some way to resolve it. And we're mm-hmm. not bringing that relationship or that, that lost person back, but we can resolve it in other ways. Well, I think it's, let's go over this again, too, because the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross stages of grief, um, I thought I was so wise because I'm like, oh, yes, the stages of grief and they don't happen all in order and blah, blah, blah. But again, they were written for the medical community, for the patient Mm -hmm. who was dying. Right. Not for the ones who are grieving. Not the ones left behind. No. I think that is just fascinating. Mm-hmm. So so what is better than that? What what so, can help us through our grief? Yeah. Um, I tend to use James William Warden's tasks of grief. He was a professor at uh, Stanford and also at Harvard. He's a brilliant man. And he also saw Kubler-Ross's stages of grief as valuable, but not sufficient in understanding our grief process. And so he talked about four tasks of grief. And basically what they are is we start with accepting the reality of the loss, being able to say, okay, this happened. And it takes a little while to get there, but the -hmm. way we accomplish that is we talk about it. We talk about our loss often, maybe in a support group, maybe with a therapist, maybe with our loved ones who are going through it as well. But we need to, we need to talk about the loss to get to Mm -hmm. a point of acceptance. That's the first task. Yeah. I remember, you know, when, when my husband died so, so many years ago, um, and, and other widows that, that I have talked to, too, there's just this per- period of fog that you can't even begin to start grieving. Or for, mm-hmm. for me, and each case is unique, as you know, but for me, it was like six months. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I've, I've often said, I think God created us like onions. So just like a Layers. layer at a time comes back because yes. it would kill us if we had to take the Im- impact of all that grief oh, at one time. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that the time that it took for that fog to even begin to lift. Mm-hmm. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for the American Psychological Association says it is complicated grief if you are continuing to grieve at the six month mark. And I just think, well, clearly the people who wrote that have not lost anyone close to them because you're only beginning at the six month mark. You're starting to realize, okay, this is actually permanent. A better equation, I think, is to allow yourself at least one month of active grief for every year you had that relationship. And that doesn't apply to the death of a child, of course, because that's a much more prolonged and um, complicated trajectory. But post-divorce, death of a spouse, loss of a job. Mm-hmm. Give yourself a month of grief for every year that you were in relationship because that allows those ambushes of grief and those waves and cascades of grief to hit you and you're not thinking, well, I should be over this by now. Absolutely. We're talking with Dr. Melissa Moore, professor of uh, psychology at University of Northwestern, St. Paul, and so many other incredible things. And also now with the um, with the title of widow. And we're talking about tasks of grief. And the, and the first one, as, as you mentioned, accept the reality of the loss. Mm-hmm. And I think at that six month, month mark, that's when I accepted the reality. Yeah. And that's when I broke down and really started grieving. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, um, so how do you, how do you accomplish that? How do you accept the reality of the loss? You know, it is through talking. It's through that, it's just processing all the various facets of what was lost. You know, it's not just you lost your husband, you lost all of the things that he did for you and, and that companionship and the presence in the home and the arguments. And I mean, all of these other facets of the loss that you just don't lose one thing. And so processing it, talking about it brings you to a point of acceptance where then you can launch into the next task. It's kind of interesting too, how you, you, you lose your husband or your husband went to heaven, but you lost yourself too. Absolutely. That identity with him. Mm -hmm. And you know that first time too. I do. I absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Task number two. Task number two is you have to process the pain of grief. Sometimes it feels too scary to even touch that pain. And When I was working at the medical school in Duluth, we would tell students that pain has signal value. Pain tells you that there is something wrong. And in order to investigate what is causing the pain, you have to press into it. And that is what we need to do in the second task of grief is to press in and explore and experience that pain. Don't flee from it. Don't medicate it. Uh, Sometimes I've, I've had clients who have started drinking or they're doing a lot of online shopping or they're mm-hmm. overeating. And what happens is now you have two problems. You have the the grief unresolved, untouched, and then you have your new addiction or empty bank account or weight gain. So now you have two problems to address. Right. That's, oh, I've never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's wise to press into the pain and process that pain of grief. When when should someone ask for help? And I encourage that because I did too. Mm-hmm. At um, and I've mentioned this before in the podcast that um, John died um, of an accidental drug overdose. And not only did he die, but I was mad at him. Yes, and I was and angry. there was stigma associated with it too. Yeah, and and a therapist told me you have to forgive him, and you can hate the addict, but you can love John. Mm. And that was brilliant. So brilliant. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and, because and the addiction just, was like this. Like this, the Jesus clouds came out <laughs> after the sun. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's processing the pain is hard. It's it's scary. Sometimes it is so overwhelming. There was a moment in my um, grief shortly after Scott died where I received a piece of paper in the mail and it was his handwriting. He had written out his name. I don't even remember what the document was, but it was some sort of legal document where he had written out his name, date of birth, social security number, my name, date of birth, social security number, our daughter's. And then our yeah. sons in his, and I can just imagine his hand writing these letters and I broke down and I started to cry and then scream and then literally howl this animalistic oh. guttural sound. And then in the other room, I heard the dog matching my tone in howling <laughs> along with me. You're like, wait, it's, like, it's my pity party. This is my turn, dude. Um, but it was, it was just this deep, deep guttural pain. But releasing it, it, it felt like when you've had a really hard workout and you're, mm. you're stiff and sore and you press into those muscles and massage them. Yeah. yeah. That counter pressure is painful. But it releases the original pain. It loosens it up. And that's what processing the pain in our grief does in in exploring it and pressing into it. It releases it so the tension goes down. In your book, it says, not many of us know how to sit with an unpleasant emotion. We feel something painful and we run away Mm -hmm. as fast as we can. But grief is an insistent visitor. It's persistent. It will not be ignored forever. And I remember thinking my grief was about the size of a a tomato soup can. And I would put it away in my heart. And I I literally could. I was that good at it. Wow. Just putting it away. Pam is a Um, compartmentalizer. (laughs) That's exactly what it was. But then when I felt like I was alone and I could take it out and, and, and do that, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a functional thing. It's a functional thing. And when you asked, when do you know when it's time to get help? It's Mm -hmm. when you can't function. It's when your grief is so, it's, it's different from everybody else's. It seems like everybody else is kind of able to move forward and you can't, uh, you need to seek help or I invite you to seek help when it is so distressing that you can't concentrate on other things. You're just in chronic distress. Mm -hmm. If it's dysfunctional, you're not able to compartmentalize it, put that aside for a time so you can do your work, you can parent your children, you can contain, maintain relationships with friends, and you can get groceries. When you're not able to function or when it becomes dangerous, when you start thinking about your own death or causing your own death, those are the times to consider and seeking help. That's kind of where I was too. Is is this unusual? Because I've talked with, with many widows. Um after John died, I, I mean, just I'll put it out there. I didn't feel suicidal, mm. but I did have like ideations of well, if I walked out in the middle of the street and got hit by a truck, mm. then I could be in heaven too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's not unusual. Okay. It's when you're planning it okay, that it's problematic. When you're thinking, oh, who would find me? How will I do it? Oh. Those kinds of things. Then it's, then it's time to seek help. Yeah. But that occasional, like, man, he gets to hang out with a big JC in heaven and I'm stuck down here in this hell on earth. Why wouldn't we kind of entertain those thoughts? Yeah. You know, 
Dr. Melissa Mork, psychology professor and also a widow. Um, we're going through what, what are called the four tasks of grief, accept the reality of the loss. This is all in her book, too. We'll tell you where you can find that in a little, little bit. The second is working through the pain of grief. And you're really doing this on your own time, too, yes, right? Yes, this is your own timeline, yeah. and nobody can rush it. Nobody can tell you you're doing it wrong. These are the tasks that just... We do accomplish kind of intuitively, but if you really want to 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 do the hard work of grief, these are I think wise to attend to. Yeah, and I like too. It's it's like well, why don't we just kind of flounder around and do it our own way? Uh, a lot of people work well this way. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't ha- you don't have to take it in order, but you can just um, right walk along, know how you're. I don't know what I'm saying, but I'll edit this out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's it's wise for those of us who who need a method, a process to follow, some check marks. Um, it helps to to have these tasks to say, okay, all right, the fact that I am telling the random grocery store clerk about my dead husband means that I am in task one. I am talking about it to whoever will listen so I can accept the pain of the loss. So um, it's, you know, it, it helps us make sense of what it is we're doing and we can we can assign these to the tasks that would have to be accomplished. Well, and I, I love the part of your book too, under um, task three, adjust to a world without the deceased and how mm-hmm. you, you talk about your own experience about all of these amazing things that you do and the titles that you've had, mm-hmm. but now it's changed into a skill set that you don't have. Right. 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 I had all of these identities. I knew who I was. I was competent and confident. And and then all of a sudden I had to abandon all of those so that I could grieve and take care of my grieving children. I stepped down from teaching. I stepped away from being chair of the department. I stepped down from being on these, you know, different boards and and I became a mom and became maternal in a way I didn't know really know how to be. Mm-hmm. I had been the professional and Scott had been the primary caregiver in our home and then he passes away and I step into that role and I have to manage finances. And by the way, they say you can't take it with you, but I found out the one thing you can take with you is all of the passwords. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yes. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> So, so I, yeah, I suddenly had to step into all of these roles and responsibilities where I didn't feel confident at all. And I had to develop a new identity and rebuild the identities that I did have in a different way. And this happens with divorce and the loss of a job or the loss of a home that you loved. Or, I mean, there's all of these different, having an experience, capital T trauma, it changes your identity from, you know, from... My husband loved John Deere. Mm. Um, and, you know, John was on the radio, too, back in the day. Um, but he loved John Deere, and he had his John Deere tractor, and he loved nothing better than to put the wagon on that thing and mm-hmm. drive around the on picking up sticks, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then mowing. Love, you know, of course, loved to mow. And they also had a snowblower. And then when the first winter came after his uh, death, um, I had no idea how to use the snowblower. So my brother-in-law came over, and he'd snowblowed the 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 front the mm-hmm. driveway mm-hmm. and then he came over again and the third time he said let me show you how this works <laughs> and i'm like he's like don't teach I'm like don't teach me how to fish i like it when you do it <laughs> but i did we call I it le- weaponized incompetence i don't want to learn because then i'll have to do it so no and i did learn but I, but i also realized i couldn't mow that lawn all by myself and yeah. that was one of the saddest days too and i think this goes along as adjusting to the world without the deceased which is tax task number three I had to sell that. I yeah. sold it. And when it 
drove away on the you know the truck bed of its new owner. Oh, I just broke. Devastating. I just wailed. Yes, it was I did so too. Sad. When they yeah. hauled away Scott's pickup truck, the one he would drive out to the barn every day to take care of the horses, and I watched that thing wheel away. Oh, it was a devastating event. Yeah, and then and then how do you in task three? Is that kind of Thinking about or or trying new things um, mm-hmm. as your new self. Mm-hmm. It starts with you know immediately after the loss when your brain is still foggy. It's just doing the next thing. It's getting up and making coffee, and then it's taking a shower. Like you're you're so mm-hmm. overwhelmed with your grief. You're so lost. You, there's not much you can do. You just take the next step. And then pretty soon you're trying new things. You're, you might never love mowing the lawn and snow blowing, <laughs> but you might find out that, hey, you're pretty good at managing those finances. Or you'll find out, hey, you know what? I never really had the opportunity to eat all of these like great ethnic foods. And now I'm going to start trying, yeah. Yeah, trying new, try new flavors. And you start, when my mother passed away, my dad asked me to stay I was in college. I came home for the funeral and everyone else had left. And he said, can you stick around for a little bit? I need you to teach me some things. Hmm. He didn't know how to cook. He didn't didn't know how to heat a can of soup. He didn't know that there were instructions on the side of the can. And so we walked through the kitchen and looked at all of the directions on all of the packaging. And then we went downstairs and I taught him how to wash clothes and run the dryer. Melissa. Oh my gosh. It works both ways. It does. And then I came home. A couple weeks later, and that man had a roast in the crock pot. And he <laughs> had followed it. the Aww. directions for the recipe for Rice Krispie Treats. And so we had pot roast and Rice Krispie <laughs> Treats for dinner. He had cooked, and I was so impressed. And he turned out to be a much better cook than my mother. Oh, my word. It was palatable that's when fantastic. I go to his. So it was a new identity. He discovered a part of himself he didn't know existed. And that's one of the... It's one of the beauties of this, you know, mm-hmm. that there's this method of repairing pottery called kintsugi. Yes, I'm, I love that. Yes, and what broken it is, things. yes, you take a <laughs> you take a broken pot and you mend it with gold, and it becomes stronger in the broken pieces. If mm-hmm. I drop that pot again, it may shatter in other parts, but where it's held together with gold, it stays so strong. And I find that that's what's happening with our our grief is that we are being mended together with gold in our mending together our oh, broken pieces. That's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, two years after my husband passed away, um, I got through the year of firsts, mm-hmm. you know, that first anniversary without him, first Christmas. Um, and a friend of mine called up and said, Hey, Pam, I've got tickets to Oprah Winfrey in Chicago. <laughs> and I was like, Let's go have some fun. Yes. Literally. This was this was going into year number two. And I said, let's so we so we got a great hotel and we just had some girl time and shopping. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's a, a steakhouse called Gibson's mm-hmm. in Chicago. John and I used to go there all the time. Nice. So I gave the the piano man some money and said, play our song. And he played and I started bawling. I'm like, this is just so dumb. That night I met my future second husband. Hey. (laughs) Well, well, well. Reaching out. Yeah. Yeah. So for um, me, I am. I started after Scott died. I, I tried to I tried to view everything with a, a, through a lens of humor, right? And so I started keeping track of like the pros and cons of having a dead husband. And there are lots of cons. Like there's a lot of downsides, but there are a couple things that are kind of, you know, 
Some people are going, what is she talking about? No, I mean, (laughs) you know, I I can, I have complete control of the remote at all times. I can sleep diagonally on the bed. I can, I can leave dishes in the sink and not worry about somebody saying, why did we spend so much money on this kitchen when you're going to leave? You know what I mean? (laughs) So there there are pros, but I ended up going and doing stand up. And talking That's about right. the pros and cons. And um, yeah, I competed at Acme for funniest person in Minnesota. Oh my It was God. a new identity. Add that to the list, stand-up comedian. <laughs> but it was a new identity for me that I yeah. wouldn't have I would have never even thought to try when he was alive. And suddenly I felt like, why not? I'm what so do I impressed. have left to lose? That is amazing. Professor of psychology. Um, <laughs> let's see. A uh, counselor, a life coach, um, therapist, stand-up comedian, yeah. my guest, <laughs> Melissa Mork. I mean, seriously, this is amazing. Let's do task number four. Okay. And this is a good one. Yes. it's We want to find an enduring connection with the deceased or that which we have lost while embarking on a new life. And I want to I wanna really look, focus on the first piece of that. Mm-hmm. Closure is not the goal. We do not want to find closure. It's impossible. Or get over him no. or her. Or, we don't. Yeah. I, I spoke at a grief coalition one time and this mother came up to me while I was ready, readying myself at the podium. And she said, um, last month we had somebody who told us that the goal of grief was to lower the lid of the casket. <gasps> and I was horrified. Ick. And she said, if, any, if you say anything that stupid... I will come up here and personally slap you across the face. Do you understand me? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Wow. She had lost her daughter to a a rare cancer at age 13. She said, the last thing I want to do is lower the lid on the casket. The goal of this fourth task is to find a new way of having a relationship with this person who's gone, a new way of loving them. Even though they're not physically present in our life anymore, We want to maintain that relationship. We want to extend love to them. We want to communicate with them. We want to stay connected. And for each of us, it's done differently. Mm -hmm. It might be through wearing their clothes, walking around. You know, Mm -hmm. my daughter wears my husband's sweater constantly. It's a, it's, she said it feels like he's hugging her. Oh, my goodness. It's lovely. It's, my son has taken up cooking. My husband was a fantastic cook. Now my son is a fantastic cook. He baked a cherry pie last night at about 10 o'clock at night. And it was, it was a really good breakfast this morning. Um, it's, <laughs> it's finding a way of relocating them in your heart. So we don't have to say goodbye and also realizing that there is hope for those of us who are, have faith and whose our loved ones had faith, but even I was talking to a professor in our Bible and theological studies department, and I said, "What do you? How do you find comfort if your loved one dies and they weren't saved?" And he said, "There is no one more compassionate and loving and merciful than our heavenly Father, and there is an incredible gulf between the depth of His mercy and our comprehension of it." Amen. He said, that is where my hope resides. We don't know. That is where my hope resides, is in that gulf between our understanding and the true mercy of our Heavenly Father. Yeah. Oh, that is so, that's absolutely beautiful. And I know it's going to help many hearts right now. Um, I know that, you know, for for John, two two kids, um, we had, he was dad too. And he had left about 3,000 albums. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, in fact, right Thanks, before, 
right before he passed away, we bought someone's collection, and I was just like, really? Um, and his his death was sudden, so I'm stuck with literally cassettes, eight tracks, albums, and I thought, well, there must be, a, of course, a million dollar album in here. So I I just couldn't go to the task of going through these things. Right, it took me years, but when I finally did and and pulled out some of my favorites, and then when um when James came over and picked up his dad's albums, the the bond, the happiness was just unmeasurable. Oh, yeah. I love so he that. lives on through his collection there and yes. so many other things. Yes. Yes. I I also have talked to different people over the years and I know one mom had had little children, very small children and at Christmas time as hard as it was. They did a Christmas tree and then they did another tree for dad. Oh. And he loved to fish. So Perfect. it had a fishing theme and it yes. was dad's tree. I love that. See, this Isn't is what I'm lovely? talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about ways of remembering them and including them. One of my favorite ways of relocating them is through humor by remembering them with humor. How did they bring a smile to your face? How did they make you laugh? How did you play together? And telling those stories. Hey, remember when my husband, he loved dad jokes. He would get most of his jokes from the rappers from Laffy Taffy and he would bring <laughs> reader's digest. Yeah, yeah. So I wish, I wish they were that good. Uh, but he would bring them home at the end of the day and he would be, he would deliver these jokes and then he would sit at the table and laugh and laugh and laugh. And we would laugh because it was so ridiculous. It was so funny how much joy he got out of these mm-hmm. dumb jokes. And so even now we'll be like, we'll hear a dumb joke and we'll be like, dad, you know, we just, we remember him with so much humor and levity. And that's, you know, what I, I don't know if you are in a perfect marriage. I did not have a perfect marriage. Is um, there, no, is there such a thing? I, I don't, I imagine they're probably, I just imagine. I was at grief share one time and I sat and I looked around and I said, was everybody here married to a saint except for me? And they all just kind of nodded, you know, but no, I was not married to a saint, nor was he. But if I focus on how we fought or argued or held resentments Mm -hmm. or had sharp words towards each other, I feel farther away from him. Just like when I focus on my sin, I feel farther, farther away from God. I feel like I'm, I'm separated. Mm -hmm. But if I focus on my relationship with God around the joy of my salvation and all the things I'm grateful for and all the ways that I think I may have brought a smile to God's face, I feel so closely connected to God. Similarly, when I focus on, instead of how we fought, I focus on how we loved and played and rejoiced in one another's company. I feel closer to Scott. And so when I'm trying to, I'm trying to help my children grieve the death of their dad, which is devastating. It is a tragedy. If we can end in laughter, like we talk about the hard parts, we talk about our sadness, but if we can end that conversation with some laughter and remembering him with so much joy, he's relocated back in our hearts again and we haven't had to say goodbye. Hey, we'll be right back with Dr. Melissa Moore. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, Wings for Widows. You can find out more at wingsforwidows.org. I'm Pam Lundell, and I know when I first became a widow, so many things just crop up and things that you have to do. And one of them is finances. And I really didn't know a lot about our finances. And I wish I'd known about Wings for Widows because they're a nonprofit just for you to help you walk through those difficult decisions. In fact, Joe from Eden Prairie says, I'm so glad I reached out. They help 
helped me to wrap my arms around the enormity of my situation and move forward with confidence. I can't thank Wings for Widows enough. Such a great resource. Your financial wellness check, your financial coaching is free. There are so many great people there ready to reach out, just give you a hug and help you through those difficult financial decisions. Check it out at wingsforwidows.org. We're back with Dr. Melissa Mork, who we've we've established is a, a professor of psychology and a therapist and a life coach and a comedian. And what else am I missing here? Author. Author. Oh, my goodness. Author of this wonderful book called Navigating Grief with Humor. And MelissaMork.com is your website. Now, I was re- reading the back of your book and adding to the list. Um, let's see. You are now a certified humor I've a certified humor professional yes. through the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Yes. What the heck? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, I I it started it started when my mom died in a car crash. I went to the funeral and Okay, I have to interject for a moment. All I can think of is Mary Tyler Moore and yes. the clown funeral. Yes. It was that. Yes. <laughs> that episode. It was like that. That's one of my favorite clips, by the way. So we're sitting at the funeral, very serious Presbyterian affair, packed people standing in the vestibule, and the pastor stops the service in the middle of it. This is before the open mic kind of funeral where anybody could say anything. He stops the service and he said, I just, I want you all to turn to a neighbor and share a favorite story about Trudy. And my siblings and my dad and I, we were just too sad to even participate, but we listened. And first there were whispers and awkward pauses and sniffles. And then there were giggles and chuckles. And then there were snorts and guffaws. (laughs) And it felt just waves of laughter were peeling through that church. And that was an epiphany. In that moment, I realized it was okay to laugh. If I could laugh, I could get through this. If I could, because my mother was a funny, funny woman. She would come to visit me at college and we would run to the store to pick up supplies, you know, groceries and things. And under my um, head of lettuce would be an enema kit or (laughs) (laughs) under the boxes of cereal would be some bladder pads. And so I would have to hand them over to the clerk and say, thank you. I've changed my mind. Um, but my, and my mother would just innocently be thumbing through a magazine present pretending like that wasn't her, you know? (laughs) And so, but she was just a funny woman and it wasn't just me who thought so. Apparently all the people in attendance thought so as well. And that laughter gave me permission to remember her that way. And if I could remember her that way, I could get through it. And so for my sabbatical, I decided I was going to study the psychology of humor. And I found the Association for Applied and Therapeutic (laughs) Humor. And it is a group of people that see the value of humor in leadership, in the workplace, in parenting, in, in ministry, the humor in all of these different domains that Humor is what brings us together, in, even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of hard times. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a presentation by one of uh, a friend of mine at one of the first conferences I attended who looked at humor in the Holocaust and how the, the, those in the camps would use humor as a survival mechanism, as a way of getting through it. Oh so humor is not just something that is 
lighthearted and frivolous, it is substantial in getting us through some of the hardest times. Tell me, and I think we know some, but what are the physical benefits of humor? Oh, it oxygenates the blood. There's research out there that shows that laughter enhances T-cell functioning, so it enhances your immune functioning. It is good for cardiovascular health. uh, Michael Miller, a a cardiologist in, I think he's in Chicago, has done a lot of research on the use of laughter in um, cardiovascular health. It um, Norman Cousins wrote a book called Anatomy of the Illness where he found that he had a very painful um, illness that morphine could barely even touch. And mm. so he called, he was in the hospital. He calls his friend Alan Funt, who is the producer of Candid Camera at yes. the time. And <laughs> Alan Funt brought in reels of these takes from Candid Camera, projected it on the wall of the hospital room, and Norman Cousins found that if he could have 10 minutes of sustained laughter, he would get two hours of pain-free sleep. Unbelievable. The problem was that the other patients in the hospital complained about the noise, and he ended up to move to a hotel nearby. You know what? Those candid camera, just just go dig those I out know. on YouTube and watch so a few of those. Funny. I know we're under a bit of a, t- a time limit and just really value your time with us here on A Widow's Heart. Um, Navigating Grief with Humor is the book, and we've just touched on that, but can you tell me about your podcast and then also upcoming specific podcast dealing with grief yes. and humor? So the book was actually written as I was planning a MOOC, which is a massive open online course that's offered um, through KTIS and other faith radios. Um, and so Navigating Grief with Humor started out as a course, and the book came out of that. And it is available on Amazon. I'm currently doing a podcast called Mental Health with Dr. Melissa Mork, um, available wherever you get your podcasts and ktis.com. But there's also another podcast that I did that covers the six chapters of this book. So it's almost like an audio book. And I'm not sure when that will be released, but listen for yeah. it. I will definitely let you know because it's, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful course that you can take along with this book. And I tell you what, what a great uh, group study to get mm-hmm. together with your friends and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's also good for, yeah, grief support groups have used this to work through a six-week um, process. Well, we'll let you know when that is happening. But in the meantime, just go to melissamork.com and you're going to find your podcast and all the other incredibly wonderful things about you. Um, and we're going to have you back in the future because oh, yes, I can just feel like we've, we've touched the tip of the iceberg here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we go, though, could you please pray for anyone listening that's dealing with grief and Absolutely. seeing no way out? Absolutely. I love that. Heavenly Father... There is so much pain in this world, and before any of our losses, your heart broke. Lord, we ask you to mend us together through you, through your Holy Spirit. I pray for peace and comfort that passes all understanding beyond our comprehension, the peace that makes no sense but fills us through your Holy Spirit anyway. Lord, I pray that you um, you use our words in this podcast to bring comfort, to bring inspiration, and to bring hope. I pray this in your name, beloved Lord Jesus. Amen. So good. I don't know about you, but I love Dr. Mork's spirit and knowledge. Again, you can learn more about her, what she's up to, and how to get that awesome book at melissamork.com. 
Mark.com, M-O-R-K. A Widow's Heart is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of University of Northwestern St. Paul. If you've lost a spouse or know someone who has, please share this podcast or any of the others on Apple, Google, and Spotify. A Widow's Heart is grateful for the support of Wings for Widows.